we may all be full of fear and terror, but the generation 10, 15 years younger than us might be less stressed as they get older because they might be making more informed decisions. More authentic decisions, would you say? That was Dr. Lindsay Wisner, and she is the co-author of a book with Celine Castrovia called 10 Steps to Finding Happy, which is due to be released on March 20th, which just happens to be, which we talk about in this interview, the United Nations International Day of Happiness. Who knew that they had an International Day of Happiness? Now, this was recorded well before coronavirus was even a thing. It's amazing how things can turn on their head. So some of our comments you may look at through a different lens now that we're living with more uncertainty. To give you some context, Lindsay is a psychologist who specializes in teenagers with suicidal ideation. We'll talk about that a bit more in here. Alongside that conversation, though, is one about what makes us happy and why we aren't necessarily as happy as we could be. Specifically, we touch on how technology is interrupting our lives and stopping us from being present in the here and now. News notifications, anyone? How perhaps we really are more stressed these days. How every generation has their mess of garbage to deal with. How we're likely bringing more psychological baggage into our lives than previous generations. How expectations of happiness can lead to disappointment and the importance of living an active over a passive life. Lindsay's high energy, and I hope this conversation can help raise your happy, distract you for a moment from a lot of the fear and uncertainty that is around us, and give you a few ideas about how you can cultivate happiness over this period. You can pre-order 10 Steps to Happy before 20th of March, but also remember The 20th of March is United Nations International Day of Happiness. We need it this year, people, so spread that happiness around. Pretty please spread it. Without further ado, let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to Here to Thrive. I'm your host, Kate Snowwise. This is a podcast for people who are ready to step up and live a happier life. It's for those of us who are dedicated to understanding ourselves and getting the best that we can out of this thing called life. It's a mix of psychology and modern spiritual thought, always with a focus on practical advice so that you can take it back and apply it to your own life. I don't believe we're here to merely survive. I truly believe we're here to thrive. So let's get going. Lindsay, thank you for joining me on Here to Thrive today. Kate, thank you so much for having me on. We're going to talk about your book, which is coming out this month, 10 Steps to Finding Happy, A Guide to Permanent Satisfaction. What made you decide it was time to write a book? Um, So I have actually, I was a writer before I was a psychologist. I am still a writer. I actually, fun fact about me, um, in 2014, Cosmopolitan Magazine ran their first ever fiction writers contest and I won it and they have not run one since. So I think I just broke the bank or something. I've written several fiction books, but this was my first nonfiction book. 
And I was approached by a fellow writer that I actually met via Twitter. And she and I started doing writing workshops together and helping each other with our, our edits and our manuscripts and just giving feedback. And then she had this book that was largely written and she wanted some feedback. And I went balls to the wall and was like, this is great, but would you like a co-author? <laughs> That's awesome. But can I write it with you? <laughs> yeah, it literally, I mean, she had everything all lined up. So I was just like, yeah, I'm, I think at the time I was about to turn 40 and I, all, you know, I was like, oh, wouldn't that be a nice birthday present? But so the, like, they're all the same steps. I just added in the science behind the steps and the research because I'm kind of a research geek. And then we also, I recruited 24 expert writers in various fields to talk about what happiness meant to them and what made them happy. Very cool. Your book was chosen by the United Nations as one of their books to celebrate the International Day of Happiness, right? It was. What does this day mean to you, an International Day of Happiness? Because I know you reached out to me and, and we were both like, wow, who knew there was an International Day of Happiness? That is literally my like my go-to. Like That's like my dad joke, you know, because I, I just had no idea. Although, if you think about it, I do remember a few years ago, Pharrell sang that song, Happy. Yes. Was that? Like 20, yes, that was it. That was it. Yeah. That was part of the United Nations deal as well. Right. So, wow. And then, so I, I researched into it and because I, my co-author, Selene Castrovia, she is the one who you know, reached out to the United Nations and did that whole thing. To me, uh, that to me, that's like saying, let's reach out to God. I don't know how one reaches out, <laughs> you know, but she did that. But yeah, I researched it. And I, the idea that the man who created it had is basically we need to be rating and evaluating our societies, countries worldviews in something other than numbers or statistics or gross domestic uh, product. <laughs> yes. Thank you. I was just going to say, I wish I knew something about you know, <laughs> eco like e economy because I don't really understand what economics is, but you know, more than like uh, numbers and also evaluate the lifestyle of our citizens and the happiness and the, the stuff that matters to how we feel about our lives. Right. And the mental health, well, I'm sort of forcing that mental health in there. I don't know if that was initially part of it, but I am doing my bestest to make it part of it now. I think that the mental health is a massive element when we're talking about happiness and why societies may be struggling on this front. I think that mental health is intimately tied with that. What are you seeing in your practice as a psychologist? Do you think we're in the midst of a happiness crisis? Well, about a year ago, almost exactly a year ago, I accidentally fell into a specialty of working with suicidal teenagers. So what, okay, can we just stop there and go, whoa, like, <laughs> wow. I mean, that's some seriously impactful, but intense work, I imagine. It is quite intense. With these teenagers, what we call those Gen Z, right? I mean- I I think sure. it's Gen Z. Uh, I know with the American Psychological Association, they recently did their Stress in America survey, and they're saying they're the most stressed out generation to date. I'm not surprised, and I know a lot of people are blaming social media and uh, FOMO. By the way, apparently I went to college with the guy who 
invented the term FOMO. No way. That is so cool. His name is Patrick McGinnis and he has a podcast called, I think it's called FOMO Sapiens actually. But I, like I literally Googled it after I heard it and it was true. He is now responsible technically for all of our depressed (laughs) Who have now got a label for the fact that they're missing out. (laughs) Yeah, I really should be nicer to him because he wrote a book blurb for our cover or back of our book, so I should be much nicer. (laughs) I think that it's that, but it's also, so interestingly, suicidality is very contagious, particularly among teens. And we really want to blame it on social media. However, if you scientifically look back and compare numbers that I hate, find out that it's the 24-hour news coverage that came first. And that is actually sort of what it's, it's not about the social media. It's about all of those things, you know, 24-hour news coverage, constant being bombarded with information. We were at New Year's Eve. I was with some friends and... All of a sudden, one of them looks down at her phone and she's like, oh, I ran. And I was just like, I mean, it's sad, but put it away. You yeah, know? <laughs> just interrupt that moment of joy, right, with something. Right. It was very bizarre. I was like, I don't want to be sad about it. I'm a little tipsy and also it's New Year's Eve. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, can we think about that when it's time to think about the news, not in the middle of our social interaction, right? Right, but we don't have that luxury anymore particularly me, because I can't figure out how to do anything with my phone, like turn off notifications. But so we don't have that luxury. So I believe that they're more stressed out. They're also the adults are more stressed out Two family incomes are more necessary and pressure of college applications and getting into a college. I, uh, I feel for these kids. I really do. Would you say, therefore, we're talking about stress? Does it impact our happiness? Does it eat away at our happiness, in your opinion? I, I would make a funny face at you if I could see you because I think that we both know the answer. I mean, absolutely. How could it not? I mean, I guess if you if you can do something with that stress, not necessarily, then, then it doesn't have to. I'm a big fan of yoga. I'm a big fan of hot yoga. I just figured out how to put a TV in front of my treadmill. And so now I'm a big fan of watching all those like bad shows that, you know, like The Bachelor and whatever, I will work out while I'm doing that. And that's a great way to burn off that stress. But it still eats away at your happiness. It's got to. Yeah, I hear you. So do you think we're less happy in society now than we used to be? I'm interested in your opinion, Lindsay. I I think we are, but probably to a lesser degree. I think the difference probably isn't as huge as we think it is. I, my teenagers will you know, say to me, teenagers being my patients will say to me quite often, like, you don't know what it's like these days. And then they'll tell me something that was true when I was a kid, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah. You know, like, like people whether, are still dicks and people are still it, not kind. And <laughs> it, Yes, exactly. Like we didn't have dick pics, but I assure you, had we had phones, we would have, you know? Like, <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. And so, and also if you look back at it, like every generation has their own mess of garbage you know like there was Vietnam there was always constant strife going on and I think we want to idealize the past oh also they're really worried about global warming I have to say you know but when I don't remember this but my husband is a few years older than me swears that they were doing like bomb drills when he was in elementary school 
And again, Columbine was when I was in college. So my kids now, I have a, a nine and 11 year old and they're growing up with lockdown and lockout drills, you know, in case of an armed shooter, they, they, we literally have to just have discussions about what do you do if you're in the bathroom? What do you do if you're here or there? I think every generation has their own stuff, but our children and teenagers are being exposed to more. And so it's more frightening. Uh, humorously, my, my husband is also a psychologist and a lawyer. And so he argues his point and wins a lot, but, uh, <laughs> but so he has definitely like sheltered our kids. And the other day, I, my kids and I were watching this movie, uh, 13 going on 30. I don't know if you've seen it. It's I've heard as, as that got some suicidal, um, no, elements in it? Nope, no, 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 wrong you're one. talking about 13 oh, reasons why. Which yes. Is a whole no, I would never watch that with my kids. I, I I would burn my children's eyes out before I watched it with them. You're talking about that one that's like a, a rom-com chick flick, right? Exactly, yes. right. Jennifer Garner, and they do the thriller dance, you know, the Michael Jackson thriller dance. And after I was like, do you guys, I asked my kids, I said, my husband wasn't home. And I was like, do you guys want to see that dance? And so I showed him the thriller video, which we grew up with. Like it was every time you went roller skating, it was there was like an intermission of 20 minutes where they played the thriller video. I, I don't know why, but, that was, <laughs> uh, but so my son, my 11 year old, like two minutes into the thriller video, they like flipped out and left the room. Because <laughs> it is, it's got werewolves and yes, people rising out of graves and stuff, doesn't it? But, but like we were raised with it. So I didn't think of it. And then what, you know, of course he had a nightmare and my husband went and my son ratted me out. So there you go. <laughs> you, you're absolutely traumatizing him with the thriller. What about adults? Do you think we're less happy as adults? What's going on with us? I think we are all working a lot, a lot more than we had to. I think the idea of a one family income does not really exist. I, I mean, most of the people I know, they're, both people are working. And sometimes my husband and I, and also the couples I do therapy with, it's ships passing in a night. I also think that we have, now that we have this knowledge about, we have too much knowledge at our fingertips and knowledge of parenting and what to do right, what to do wrong, how our parents messed us up. And so we're all carrying this extra psychological baggage and we're going through the motions of what we think we should do without pausing to think about whether we should. And by adults, I'm talking... 40s i i don't know how old you are kate actually. i am 37 we can round me up to 40 i'm good with that and so i don't know about you but i never paused to think about whether i wanted to have children or wanted to get married it just wasn't something i mean it wasn't i didn't i never had like numbers or like a, it wasn't a goal but i never thought about it and so i think there are a lot of people that are in situations that they don't want to be and they never had the freedom to choose. And now that we have this younger generation where some of them are choosing not to have children or not to get married, they're more open about their sexuality. They're, you know, choosing to define differently their gender. You know, there aren't binary isn't the only option out there. I think that we may all be full of fear and terror, but the generation 10, 15 years younger than us might be less stressed as they get older because mm. they might be making 
more informed decisions. Which, more authentic decisions, yeah. would you say? Yeah. Yes, that's much better. Otherwise, I contradicted myself. So I like the authentic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah more decisions that are more true for them. Because, yeah, I know what you mean. I went to, and anyone who's listened to this podcast long enough would know that I went to law school when I was 18 because I just thought that's what I should do. And thank God I flunked out and ended up as a psychologist because that was so much more my happy place. But it wasn't like I thought there was a smorgasbord of options to me. I was like, if you're good at English, then you should become a lawyer because that's societally approved. Uh, Mine was writing. I was going to be a writer. So, oh, see, I didn't see much of a path with writing, but interesting, interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, it's okay. I was told that I shouldn't be a, a psych major because I would never do anything with it. So go figure. <laughs> <laughs> and here we are. And here we are. Yes. So <laughs> talking about talking about those people, and even perhaps I would go as far to say the moments in people's lives when they're not okay. How do you think we deal with that? as a society is it okay yet to say that we're not okay are we getting closer to that point I am really angry because I don't feel like it is okay one of the things I'm hoping to do with the launch of the book is I got all these giant postcards made up and they're the cover of the book with the hashtag 10 steps and the stigma the cover of the book is lovely my you know marketing told me that would be a great tie-in but my real goal is to talk more about ending the stigma. And I have this dream about spreading this across social media and hopefully you will help me. I don't know how this dream is gonna to come to fruition, but I, it's it's my passion. I think one of the reasons my practice has really picked up speed in the last year is because there aren't a lot of people, a lot of therapists, you know, mental health professionals that are willing and able to work with people who admit to suicidal ideations. Yeah, it freaks other people out, whereas you're like, I am here. <laughs> yeah, because I, I'm kind of laid back and I, I, have, I have a family member who's attempted suicide many times and is still here. And I think that in some roundabout way that prepared me to recognize real signs versus just thoughts. And pause and ask questions. And more often than not, the gut reaction of a therapist is to go to a hospital for an evaluation. And if you go for a psych eval, you feel like a crazy person. And if you, especially because we have some very good, I'm in New York and we have some very good hospitals, but Very good hospitals are teaching hospitals, and teaching hospitals means that the best of the best of people that have been studying out of a textbook are, you know, the sort of first line, second line, third line, and eventually after six hours, you get someone with some experience. Once went to an emergency room with my son for a rule out of appendicitis, and at the end, they were going through the mental health, you know, like the mini mental health exam. And uh, they asked him if he ever had thoughts about hurting someone. And he said, yes. And I was really trying to keep my mouth shut and be mom and not psychologist. And then when I realized that they were about to keep him for a psych assessment for homicidality, I was like, 
Oh, hang on are we kidding like who, I, what yeah, small like, child hasn't thought about hurting someone <laughs> well also I was like Hunter can you tell us a little more about that you know which is a basic psych 101 question and he proceeded to say that like sometimes at lunch the boys wrestled you know <laughs> <laughs> you're like oh my lord right. this woman meant well but she it's uh, it I think clumsy I'm hearing it was clumsy in its execution exactly it requires a lot of nuance to identify suicidality. Most people don't actually want to kill themselves. They just want to be heard and maybe seen. fantasize. Yeah, or fantasize about it. And it's it's very it's very rare that if you send someone for a psych eval, they are going to actually hospitalize them. And more often than not, and I've had like psychiatrists have done this to my patients where like I see the patient and they're like, yeah, I'm doing okay. I'm meeting with the psychiatrist tomorrow. They'll admit to thoughts, but that doesn't mean they have a plan and that doesn't mean they have an intent. And when I ask a question, I ask it thoroughly. The next day she ends up in the emergency room and sends me a selfie from like the bathroom because they were taking her phone away. She's like, I don't know what's going on, but somehow I'm here. And she left feeling feeling worse than she had when she went in. I mean, that's just going to shame people out of talking about it. And, you know, unfortunately, in September of this year, there was a 15-year-old boy in my town who committed suicide. And the way it was treated or referred to was a tragic accident. And I raised bloody hell and got nowhere because we need to call a spade a spade. It's not about what this boy's family is comfortable with. It's really about making it okay for other kids to come forth and talk about these feelings when they have them rather than the shame of of, exactly yeah so as far as you'd see it we're still not doing a good job of making it okay for people to talk about the stuff that's tough yeah I mean overall definitely not and of course some minority populations have it worse african-american both men and women Men, definitely men are less likely to seek treatment than women, but I think they're actually more likely to seek coaching, which is kind of just bizarre therapy. I get that, that people come to me and I'm like, I think you want a therapist. Uh, I don't specialize in what you need, right? Which is healing and understanding. I'm like, no, I'm a, I'm a coach. Let me clarify the difference between the two. <laughs> right. Well, I'm a, I'm a therapist, but I also do... I want to find out where the problem is, and then I am going to help you take action to change, which I think is more the coaching job. I was trained like analytically, Freud couches, three times a week therapy, blank slate, and then I started practicing, and I was like, no, that's not me. So I will kick people in the butt if if needed. When I was looking through the book in preparation for our conversation, I noticed there was a line in the introduction. It says something along the line of, we only appreciate what we work for. Do you feel like happiness is no different? Do we appreciate happiness more if we've put in the work to get it? I think so. I I also think today, most of the non-third world countries, we have an ease of life that allows for us to expect to be happy. Mm -hmm. And... It's sort of like in countries where people are starving, very few people are anorexic. There's a luxury of an expectation. Like It's like when my children 
are complain to me that they're bored. You know, well, you're, you're a kid. You're like, boredom's okay. It'll, it'll lead to creativity. Oh, you that's know? so funny. I say the same thing to my children, drive them batshit crazy because I'm like, yeah. that's a good thing. I'm so glad you're bored. I mean, wouldn't you hate that if your mother said that to you? I would hate that. And yet I say it to my children all the time. Oh no, I say that. And we also, when we, we recently moved and I made a large closet into an art room and then I alphabetize everything like all of our art supplies and so now if you tell me you're bored go to the art room so <laughs> that is so good it's like go to the art room do whatever you want exactly go to the art room I'll tell pipe cleaners are under pee you know <laughs> <laughs> so it's a funny conversation because my little five-year-old today was like mom I want to make a craft and I was like crafts are for weekends <laughs> I need an art room I was like we can't do that before school so would you say then with just this this line of thinking that that happiness expectation like it's a given I deserve to be happy do you think it leads to possibly more disappointment yeah, that whole what is the meaning of life question. I think that, first of all, it's a luxury that we get to ask that because I don't think the cavemen were pondering their philosophical mortality. I feel like now that we're not struggling as much, and certainly at a certain age and socioeconomic class and culture and parts of the world, now we're, we're, we're noticing our unhappiness or our failure to be happy. And to be clear, I am not talking about depression, you know, you know, like I'm not talking about a mental illness or like a, a severe depression or even a mild depression. I'm simply talking about people that are kind of bummed and expecting something more, but don't do anything to get that something more to change. Mm, yeah. The difference between the mental illness model is, is st do we still call it mental illness? Is that still how it's actually? For mental health, yeah. because the, it's a positive, but... Uh, but also mental illness sounds like crazy pants, you know? Yeah. I mean, this book is not to overcome depression. And in fact, in retrospect, I think the book should have been called 10 Steps to Finding Happier, because I think that's a much more attainable goal. And I think that particularly as adults, we forget things that made us happy as children or that scientifically speaking, your neurotransmitters and synapses start firing when you try something new. And as adults, we don't try new things all that much. Mm, right. Yep. We just get stuck in our ruts. Exactly. Following on from that, for those people who do kind of feel just as we're talking about, kind of like meh and like happiness is kind of eluding them, they might feel a little lost in life. What piece of advice would you have for those people? Buy my book. <laughs> it's a good piece of advice. I know. Uh, I know. Well, okay. I would say uh, try new things. Try new things. Yeah. Also, uh, try to find your people. I think that social media gets a bad rap. For me, I love Twitter. I love, I thought I would hate Instagram. I was like bullied into opening, you know, the Instagram account, but I love it so much because I can meet people all over the world, you know. We that, connected via Instagram, Lindsay. Yeah, exactly. And I can find people that I think are going to be my people. And sometimes they are, and sometimes they're not. And you're a Pinterest mom. I, God bless you, but you're not my people because I cannot put one more password stuffed into my head so I cannot open a Pinterest account. I just refuse. Someone out there is your people. And if you're kind of unhappy or in a rut, maybe you're in a small town or a 
you've known the same people your whole life or you're at a job that's not fulfilling you or at a relationship that's not fulfilling you, we'll find something that makes you a little happier and then reevaluate job relationship. It's so funny. I gave that exact piece of advice in my Facebook group this morning, Lindsay, like we are channeling the same muse. Yeah. Just, she said she was un, she'd noticed a trend that her and her husband would move frequently and that it didn't take long before they weren't happy in their new place. And that was exactly what I said. I was like, look for the things that make you happy on the inside first. Don't go changing your environment until you've tried the other things. Also, but like, really, who the hell wants the moving is a lot. Oh my like, gosh, it's stressful. Like, there's oh definitely a lot. <laughs> yeah, my husband, and I, like, my husband turned to me a few weeks ago. He's like, I sort of think that we have some real problems and we should go back to therapy. I was like, okay, cool. But can we unpack first? Because I have a feeling it's not really. You know, yeah, like, like, if we just get through the pile of crap sitting in the corner, we might feel a lot better. <laughs> I, like, I don't know what, and I didn't even bother asking what real issues because I knew it was just, we know what the top stressors are, yeah. you know? And also regarding your Facebook group, I have this theory that um, most of the time when people get divorced, they end up married to the same asshole in a different body. Yes, and so, <laughs> I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> right? So I kind of think that she keeps moving, but, uh, talking about that, you mentioned it a little bit earlier that you're okay to give someone a little bit of a boot up the butt if you need it. That's what I do in coaching, but you talked nice. about in the book, an active life versus a passive life. I feel like we need to dive in more here. What do you see as the difference between an active life versus a passive life? So I think we all have dreams and aspirations, but I don't know how many of us are actively doing something to get there. In the past year, I started a podcast totally impulsively. I have a book coming out and I'm starting to do webinars and I'm working with this new group of people. And these are all things that are, it sounds so wrong to say that working with suicidal patients makes me happy, but these are all things that I'm doing to get me to a point of fulfillment, let's say. Yeah, it, it yeah. makes total sense that you are, like you said, you are passionate about reducing the stigma and, and also doing the work to help those people who other people are perhaps labeling. It makes total sense right, to me, Lindsay. Right, and I'm not just like, and also the active versus passive. Listen, I could be sitting around just waiting for this book to come out. And instead, like I am constantly doing, doing something. Yep. Right. And I I don't know how to promote a book. I mean, thankfully, we have some marketing. But realistically, I'm not sitting back and letting marketing do it. I'm busting my butt. You're talking to the same person who alphabetized not only the art room, but also we have a book nook that I alphabetized. And then hid all of my husband's books that I deemed. (laughs) Is this why he wants to go to therapy because his books aren't on the shelf, Lindsay? Quite possibly. (laughs) Some of the the shelf, like the open shelves are all my books. And then the closed shelf, I've got like Dean Koontz and like the stuff that I'm like, nah, you don't need that. You don't need that stuff. But then recently someone came over and pointed out that I had the um, Twilight series out in the open so that my rules shouldn't apply, but you know, like I, I take active steps every day to get me closer to the things you want in life. 
Yeah, and failure is almost not an option at this point because there's always another step to take. I was going to say, is it is it less that failure isn't an option more than there's always another action? So it's yeah, just keep going. Yeah. There's always another action. Right. I mean, my, my husband described me as a, the queen of second chances. There's always another chance out there, another opportunity. You know, you never know what's going to stick. And so you keep going. And you think that's one of the things that makes you happier is that kind of just keep rolling with it and look for the next action step. Don't sit back and be passive in your life. A hundred percent. Messing things up a bit and getting to getting to the digging in a little bit about how you're not vanilla. I want to know some more about you personally, Lindsay. These are my intermission questions. Okay. Is there an intermission? Yep. Well, it's, it's just a, we're not, we're going off topic and now we're diving into you. That's the intermission. Didn't I tell you I hate off topic references? (laughs) (laughs) You're going to get blindsided. Are you a morning? All right, go for it. Morning person or a night person, Lindsay? (sighs) My children have started to bring me coffee in the morning. So I guess that means I'm a morning person, but I get to have whiskey at night. So I like night too. I like that. Those two very good answers. (laughs) What's on your bedside table at the moment? Can you remember? Bedside table. There is a book Calypso by David Sedaris and probably an empty oh an empty glass from my flavored seltzer that my husband will be annoyed that I forgot to put away (laughs) and 6,000 mismatch rubber bands and clips that my daughter deposits on my bedside throughout the course of the day are those those (laughs) uh rainbow looms or something no how old is your daughter no, that was like a few summers ago. We got that's in the art room under R. Um, <laughs> I see. No, I mean like different hair clips. You know, like yeah. I, I always have two that match, but she always loses one of them. So I get yeah. Do you have a favorite self care activity? Um, uh, not a favorite self. I, this is going to sound so stupid, but I I think currently my self care is podcasting. It is telling my story. It is breaking the silence from my childhood and um, meeting people that are interesting and that I can learn from. I I spend a lot of time lately podcasting both for my show and on others. And it is, it's fantastic. So it's, you're saying it, that our conversation right now, Lindsay, is a form of self-care. I'll take that. Yeah, I really am. I mean, it's, you know, I normally I get very upset if I can't go on the treadmill for like an hour and a half and watch. Um, it's not like a crazy. Uh, I, I'm still a chubby woman. It's not about weight loss. It's about um, I love I, to binge watch Netflix shows. And my reward is treadmill in exchange for Netflix. It's, but, so, you know, yeah. my reward for treadmill is listening to audiobooks. So I feel you've got to find the reward. Yeah. I mean, for a while I was listening to podcasts at the gym, but then treadmill at home with the TV. Exactly. There you go. And I'll stay on longer to watch the end of, you know, another episode. But, um, sometimes it upsets me if I don't get a chance to do that, but a day I won't be upset because this is my alternative self-care and I enjoy it. I was meaning to ask you earlier, what is the name of your podcast in case people want to go and listen? It is called Neurotic Nourishment. I mean, it's a podcast for smart, sweary moms, but my daughter helps out with the, she's, uh, she's not shy. So she helps out with all of the extra stuff and it's, it's cute. And she knows mommy swears and that she's not allowed. (laughs) That is awesome. How old is your daughter? 
She is turning nine shortly, and then my son just turned 11. My children also know that role in our house that I'm allowed to, they're not. Simple as yeah. that. <laughs> a book that has touched you at some important point in your life. Is there one, Lindsay, that you picked up and you're like, got the aha you needed or it hit you right at the right moment? I love anything by Jodi Picoult, but it's also it's also emotional. I also... Lauren Oliver is, she's mostly a YA author, but what she- What does YA stand for? Oh, I'm sorry. Young adults. Yeah. I thought, I, I knew it was going to be something like that, but I only read self-help books. So, so you can continue to educate us now. Lauren Oliver writes YA books that are just, you know, young adults that are fantastic and tell, oh, there's one, it's called Replica. And then the counterpart to it is the one that I'm blanking on. But it's basically the same story told from two different characters' points of view. Oh, interesting. What's a life lesson that took you a good while to learn, Lindsay? I can speak my truth. But I do not have to hide behind the story as other people like to tell it. Very good. What's one thing in your day you can't do without? Is it whiskey or coffee? Oh, God. They're both so good. Um, They're both so good. I lately I'm really into diet Dr. Pepper. Uh, the thing with the coffee is it's just, it's my kids bringing it. That's the the loving bit. Yeah. Yeah, Like they've taught themselves. uh, Of course that means I must be a beast because they like, they bring me coffee in bed. (laughs) (laughs) That's so gorgeous. I need to train mine to do the same. You should. And they know how many Splendors I like in it. So, (laughs) Oh, that's so good. Uh, how would you describe the soul, Lindsay? Do you believe in the soul? And if so, how would you describe it? Uh, I believe in, you mean like soul, the human soul. Yep. The human soul. I believe we have a soul. Different people believe in different things about the afterlife. And my answer is always, we used to, in our old house, there was a hole in the screen door and sometimes like a, a little small gnat would get in and my husband would humanitarian he is would kill it you know um but like smash it onto the wall or a piece of paper or whatever and it leaves behind a mark so sorry to the owners of our old house because there's a gnat filled wall somewhere. <laughs> uh, humans can't be the only thing in the world that doesn't leave a mark that don't mm. leave a mark you know there's got to be something else than the corporal body because otherwise it just doesn't make sense why would we be the one exception to the, the rule? So there's got to be, a, a, you know, an, a soul or like an ethereal part in addition to the corporal part. Oh, I like it. What's, what does fulfillment mean to you, Lindsay? I mean, I guess in theory it would be completing everything on my things to do list, but that that's never occurs and it's not meant to occur. I feel pretty fulfilled these days. I mean... I wish I were a better mom and a better wife, but I think that goes along with being a mom and a wife, you know? I I think that fulfillment for me right now is finding things that make me happy Mm. and, you know, and also trying to be the best me for my kids and for my husband and for my patients and... Suddenly fulfillment sounds a lot like exhaustion. (laughs) I like that though, trying to be the best you so that you can 
share so much of you with exactly. <laughs> everyone else. I was at Oprah on the weekend and she said, yes, I am full of... Wait, did you just say you were with Oprah on the oh, weekend? Well, I, I saw her at the St. Paul Center. It was amazing. Okay. At the Excel I just wanted Energy. to highlight no, that. We weren't, just, we weren't just sitting having coffee, although it felt <laughs> like that with uh, 17,000 other people. But uh, what was really funny about it, though, is she was saying how she used to be worried that people would think, and this is a little bit, of an aside from what you were saying, but that she was full of herself, but she realizes she needed her cup to overflow. She needed to have yes. so much if she was going to be able to give everything she wanted to give to the world. That is definitely how I feel. I think I do better with more on my plate. So yes, I like that a lot. So your book, the book, covers the 10 or 10 particular steps that everyone could take to find a happier life. Yes. Is there one of them that you could highlight for us just now and give us a little bit of a snippet about it? Um, I've, I've actually spoken a bit about a few of them. One is trying new things. Also, you know, finding, uh, we call it your happy people or your happy place, which mine is obviously my book nook. We've also, can I tell you something? My kid just walked into the room and handed me a note that said, you're a great mom. Must have heard us before. Talking so, about the coffee. Oh, I love your daughter. Oh God, you're very smart, and I love you. She's she's also very um, skillful at working the people angle. But I think she heard me talking about wanting to be a better mom. Oh, so that was very cute. Uh, oh, and she is my happy people. I have to tell you, she sings. And listening to her sing is fantastic. Very cute. So, and, and, you know, find your happy people. Find your happy place. Oh, get rid of what you don't need. Oh. And, and, and I'm I'm much more talking people than than things because apparently I don't, I now know since our move, uh, neither my husband nor I throw anything out. <laughs> so get I rid mean, of the people you no longer need. Find your happy people and get rid of the people you no longer need. Right. I mean, one of our experts does talk about decluttering, possibly two of them, but, you know, but, um, and that's fantabulous for them. But I think it's more important to get rid of the people that aren't serving you well. And I would also say the ideas that aren't serving you well or the beliefs. Yep. I hear you. Lindsay, if you were to leave the listeners of Here to Thrive with one thought, what would it be? Oh, so I would say live with less fear. I, you know, I was very shy as a kid and I, my outlet was books. I literally like parallel played up to, to like fifth, sixth grade, which means basically like parallel play is when, you know, young kids are playing side by side, but not interacting up until like, I got my first boyfriend in fifth or sixth grade, which oddly coincided with me growing boobs. But um, I would just sit there at lunch and play and read with this other girl who would read in silence as well. And I, I wasn't, I think I was, it wasn't, I wasn't shy because I didn't like people. I was shy because I was afraid of what people would think or feel or do. And I, as I've gotten older, I have a friend who told me I would love my 40s and sh somehow she's right. I've grown more comfortable in my own skin, even though it sags more, but whatever. And I'm more willing to put myself out there. Live with less fear because we're all afraid of something, whether it's 
afraid to try something new, afraid to change, or afraid of what people think of you. Whatever that is, life with less fear is bound to lead to more happiness. Dr. Lindsay Wisner's book, 10 Steps to Happy, is going to be released on the 20th of March this year. If you enjoyed her upbeat vibe, you can also listen to her podcast, which is called Neurotic Nourishment. Finally, if you want to track down Lindsay and learn more about her work, therapy, etc., you can follow her at Psych Shrink Mom, and she practices out of Hewlett, New York. We're living at a unique time right now. By the time you're listening to this, I really hope that coronavirus is well and truly out of our sphere. But right now, as I'm recording this, we're in the thick of it. I will release a podcast talking a little bit more about how we can take care of ourselves through this time. But in the meantime, there is a whole back catalog of Here to Thrive episodes that I hope can inspire you and nourish your soul and heart and spirit over this trying period. As I've always said, our mind diet matters. So please use the resources you have to fill your mind with positive material rather than just focus on all of the fear and uncertainty that is going on around us right now. If Here to Thrive has been useful for you, I would appreciate if you could leave a review. It really does matter to the show. And I'll be back, people. In the meantime, come and find me in the Here to Thrive community, which is on Facebook. Or you can find me at Kate Snowwise, Kate.snowwise, actually, over on Instagram. So come and find me there. Until next time, beautiful people, keep thriving. You can thrive through this too. Keep thriving.